I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. This summer is starting to look like the summer of liberal leadership hopefuls. More and more leadership contenders are declaring their intentions to seek the top job in the Ontario Liberal Party. And as we promised you, our listeners, we would invite them on to see how they would rebuild the party and make it a fighting force once again in Ontario. As well, we wanted to hear what the issues that they would focus on here in the 905 and across the province to make the party relevant to you again. In keeping with that promise, we present to you the next installment of our talk with Ontario Liberal leadership candidates. This week, we are speaking with Yasser Nakvi. Yasser is the Member of Parliament for Ottawa Centre. Prior to entering federal politics, Yasser was the Member of Provincial Parliament for Ottawa Centre and the former Attorney General of Ontario. He has also held several other cabinet portfolios provincially, including the Minister of Community Safety and Correctional Services, Government House Leader, and the Minister of Labour. Also, in the interest of full transparency, in my previous career as a political staffer, I worked for Yasser during his time as Ontario Liberal Party President. Today, he joins us to talk about his ambitions for Ontario Liberal Party leader. Okay, everyone, thank you uh, to Yasser Nakvi, uh, current OLP leadership contender, uh, for coming on to the 905er. Uh, Yasser, thank you very much for taking the time from your campaign and your, uh, your job as MP to, to come on to the podcast. My pleasure, Joel. It's a, a lo- really looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. Uh, and just in full transparency to our listeners, um, it should be noted, Yasser and I do have uh, a personal professional relationship way back in the day. As listeners of the podcast know, uh, I used to work for the Ontario Liberal Party uh, as a lowly staffer. Yasser was party president at the time, and he and I got to know each other on a professional level uh, fairly well. And I will say that's not going to color my commentary or my questions for him today, but that's also why I have Roland here in the uh, co- co-chair seat so that he can keep me honest and uh, keep me transparent to you, the listeners. So just putting that out there at the start. So uh, everybody, we're all on the, uh, on the straight and narrow. But yes, yeah, sir, uh, it's good to see you again. And I guess the f- first question we have to ask is why now are you throwing your hat in the ring to be the Ontario uh, Liberal Party leader? Yeah, Joel, I mean, this is, uh, this is a very important decision. Um, I think everyone is, is running, uh, uh, I'm confident, has put a lot of thought into why they want to lead the Ontario Liberal Party. Um, I spend a lot of time personally reflecting on that very important question. And I kept going back to um, my, early, my early years uh, as a person. Uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, before moving to Canada, my parents... Um, um, were involved in a pro-democracy movement in, in Pakistan, the country that I was born in. Um, when I was 10, my father was thrown into jail for leading a pro-democracy march. And as you can imagine, that has had a very profound impact on me as, as to who I am a person. Because one of the biggest and first lessons that I learned from my parents is that you uh, never accept the challenge, uh, the status quo. You always challenge it, that you step up uh, and do your very best to, to build a better tomorrow. And I saw them doing that, um, even though they lived really comfortable lives, both of them are lawyers, middle-class lives. 
Um, eventually, they decided to move to Canada. Very similar reason where they just felt that uh, the status quo was not going to be good enough for their children. Uh, I have an older brother and a younger sister, and they went. They wanted a better life and a, and a, and a life in a free country where we can be who we want to be. And they, mo- they moved to Canada. And so that has, has stayed with me. That is why I got involved in political life, uh, in public service. And when I ran for the very first time in 2007 as a member of provincial parliament and, and was elected and is, has been my guiding light. Um, and so when, you, when it came to making this particular decision, I just, uh, I'm really concerned with the status quo. I'm really concerned with the promise of Ontario that has been broken uh, by Doug Ford and the hard work that needs to happen uh, in terms of transforming the Ontario Labour Party and then to restore the promise uh, of our province. And I feel that given my experience, given my capacity of, of building people, uh, bringing people together and building a team and the hard work ethic that I, I have, that I can do that job in terms of transforming Ontario Liberal Party and uh, and defeating Doug Ford in 2026. There, there are a couple of things off that answer that I, I want to touch upon. Let's go with that last part that you just mentioned. And right now, the Ontario Liberal Party is in third place. Uh, they are A lot of people are, are writing them off as a political force in this province uh, at the moment. And the question then is, as you as leader, how are you going to uh, transform the, the OLP into what it once was? So, you know, that, that like a, a real political force to contend, uh, to contend for power in, in this province. What's your plan to do that? Absolutely. And let, let me walk you through a few, a few really important steps in, in that regards. One is, as I said, we need a transformation. Uh, of the party in, into a mo- modern political uh, force that can directly relate to people of Ontario. Our province is growing. Our province is getting more and more diverse. I want to build a big tent, an inclusive party that is reflective of Ontario today and moving forward. I continue to say that Ontario Liberal Party has to be a mirror uh, to this province where Ontarians see themselves reflected. It can no longer be the party of just 416 and 613. It has to have a far broader appeal than that, which means building the party in all 124 ridings across the province. Um, Joel, when I was the party president, I spent my time um, in that role in visiting almost all writings across the province, whether they were held by liberals or we had no shot at it. Because I really fundamentally believe that a political party um, is not just about areas where you have support. As much as from a transactional perspective, it makes sense. A political party is a real force. It has real meaning. It has real engagement. If it is uh, present in every single part of the province, whether we win seats there or not. And so that is th- that is the the ethos that I'm going to bring uh, to the transformation part. I want to make sure that as a leader, I'm present in all parts of this province. It is a big province. It's a fairly diverse province. Regionally, it differs a lot still. And we need to make sure that we are engaging, learning, uh, learn, um, engaging, listening and learning um, with those folks 
about their dreams and aspirations and making sure that they're reflective in the policies that we develop. Actually, I just want to follow up on that. Uh, you were, as you, as you just mentioned, you were, you were party president for a while. And actually, uh, back when in my days within the OLP as a, as a, as a lowly member, um, you were actually, I think you were president just around the time I joined, I think. Um, and, uh, in those early days, as going back to sort of McGinty years, uh, a premium, I should call them premium McGinty years, um, the uh, the party seemed really seemed very vibrant. And that's what attracted me to it. It's what kept me around for so long, um, uh, the, the, both in terms of the, the general membership and, uh, and, the, and the people in the caucus. Um, it was enjoyable to be around those people. And I guess somewhere along the line, it never stopped being the case, but but something changed. And I'm wondering, what do you feel kind of changed and, and why uh, within the party itself during those years? Because um, you know, you've got to know what's, what kind of went wrong if, if, you, if you're going to fix it, I guess. Yeah, Roland, I think you've just really have asked the, the, the most important question, I think, as to what went wrong. And I've put a lot of thought into this. I, I've been a lifelong member of the Ontario Liberal Party. I, my family and I came in 1988. Um, December 1988, I think we became members of the party uh, in Niagara Falls, Ontario, where home was initially in 1989. And and I'll, I'll share a story with you, which is extremely powerful to me, which I don't think happens a lot. The way we became, even though we came from a very politically engaged uh, uh, background um, from the country that uh, we immigrated from, we were still in a new country and we're still learning how to live in a new new country. And so we had not paid attention to the political aspect of this country until one day this happened at our door. And I remember the moment there was a bit of a kerfuffle. We, we, I think we were like six to eight months in, 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 in Niagara Falls. And the kerfuffle in the household was that we didn't know anyone who could be knocking at our door um, in, in the evening. We had no friends. And so, so dad... Um, my father, who who spoke the best English at that time, went and opened the door. And here there was this couple standing with a box of donuts to just say welcome, right? There were two people named Joe and Cleo Plateri, who became Uncle Joe and Auntie Cleo to my, sis, my siblings and I. And they came to us um, to, to welcome us. Later on, we found out that Joe Pilateri was the local Niagara Falls Provincial Liberal Association president. This was his recruitment strategy. In a small town, they used to keep tap on as to who's, who's in, who's out. And they used to make personal visits to get them involved. Look where I am today. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the party became my family. The party became my community for a new family like ours. We didn't join the Rotary Club or the Kiwanas or the Lions, right? The Ontario Liberal Party became our social service club in many respects. And then everywhere I moved from Niagara Falls to Hamilton when I went to McMaster University and then to University of uh, to Ottawa to attend law, uh, study law, University of Ottawa, it became my home. First thing I did is I looked for the local PLA, the Provincial Liberal Association, so that I have my network uh, in place and I joined them. The symptom for me here is that we have lost the sense of belonging. 
we have lost a sense of purpose in the party. I think political engagement has become really transactional. Now, it has all be, have become around elections. Elections are very important. We have to build, elect, we have to win elections, but it cannot be the sum all of everything. And the writing associations, as I look around the province, are successful at writing associations that engage with their members uh, on a regular basis and, and drive value from them. They just get together for, for curling in the winter or summer barbecues, you know, and yes, in that then comes political conversations uh, about how we can do things better, how, hey, can we, should we organize a fundraiser? Who's thinking of running for local nomination? What are, is our plan for the next provincial election, et cetera. But the core of it is people are friends and, and family. And I really want to restore that. I really want to bring the sense of belonging, the sense of purpose back into our writing associations in large writings, right? In like nine, in 905 and in smaller communities as well, because I think that's how we really start the engagement process all over again and bring a personal at, at stake in, into uh, into the party as opposed to just we don't like Doug Ford. So, um, I, it's a really interesting point, actually. I, I just want to follow up on that, just some of my own experience uh, with it. And this isn't a party political point, really. It's that this apply to any party. Um, uh, and I guess to an extent to overcoming the, 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 the general negativity within the population. Now, the one thing that unifies most of the population is, is, a, is a kind of contempt for politics and politicians these days. And that's such a problem uh, to overcome um, that it's like, you know, if people are going to get involved in being activists in their community, joining a political party is generally not the highest on the list. Well, I'll, I'll join the, you know, the, I'm trying to think of an example now, but, uh, you know, a single issue pressure group seems like a more immediate way to sort of uh, contribute. Whereas in the past, political parties were more kind of mass membership things. And um, I was just going to share some sort of experience. Like in, in Burlington, we had a good riding association. It was that kind of social club thing. Um, and I think that's why we were, uh, for a while at least, relatively successful. I, I know they still have that going today. But uh, then I saw so many other riding associations in, in, in Ontario that the the tone when you arrived in the room was of people who didn't like each other and who didn't trust each other and who, um, you know, I remember being in meetings where it's like, you know, uh, well, we, we, we can't announce that we're going to have an AGM until the last minute because otherwise people are going to come in and they're going to take our, take our roles. It's like these are volunteer positions, you idiot. If someone wants to take it, let them. <laughs> um, I mean, as the leader of the party, how would you how would you go around changing that kind of thing? And I think you know what I'm describing there. I think probably exists in every political party in the province in the country. Um, it it you know, how, how do you turn those riding associations back into kind of attractive proposition for people who want to get involved? Yeah, listen, I think you you again raising a really good point, and I think the answer to your question is that it's become a, it has become about power than purpose. And we need to restore the purpose again. Right? There is a reason that we come together under a particular banner. The strength of our democracy is our political parties and those local writing associations, regardless of which party we're talking about, because they, they allow for grassroots democracy. They really allow for the grassroots engagement um, that, uh, then, that, that funnels up and that results in the overall party uh, apparatus. 
I think uh, the, the, the thing that has gone straight in my view is where leadership uh, has become far more centralized and that leaders now yield far more power and, and basically essentially tell writing association how things need to be done. We need to flip that back over. Politics hasn't changed in 100 years. It is still about the people and it's about local communities. So I come at this with absolute sincerity because that has been my origin, perhaps because I came from a place where there was no such engagement. Perhaps the fact that my success lies in because of that local engagement allowed me to glow, grow and flourish and be at the position I'm at right now. I think that that's points to a successful model and we need to replicate that model. And so what I'm uh, intent of doing, and I continue to say that uh, I, if I'm chosen as the leader, my interest is not to build a very strong leader's office. My interest is is building 100 and st- strong 124 riding associations. It's a franchise model for me. We as a party do well if our individual local franchises do well because the strength of the party is at the local level, local volunteers. Uh, who uh, select a local candidate who then knock on the doors of their local neighbors and elect a local member of provincial parliament, all within the purview of liberal values and liberal ideas. But that's the model I think we need to find again that used to exist before uh, to to, uh, be able to earn the trust of Ontarians. And that's the transformation that I'm speaking of. I want to just... uh maybe take a, a step or two up the ladder uh, because you know we're talking about running for liberal leader but let's be truthful this is also talking about running for premier of the of the province that's the ultimate goal here so to somebody who's listening to this podcast they're going to want to know well, okay yeah sir if you ultimately get to the top job in the province what are you going to do as premier what 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 is the change that you want to see the liberal party do uh, for the province and you know because we're a 905 podcast you know, specifically here in the 905 yeah Joel thank you thank you for that that question so I'll, I'll start with with the point that I've been making is that uh, Doug Ford has broken the promise of Ontario and we need to really restore that promise um, I go back again um, sharing my story and I share my story because it's not a unique story I share my story because I think it's the story of Ontario, whether you came six generations ago uh, or you're landing right now at Pearson uh, Airport. And that story is that we we come here because we, we, we want to build a better life. And the promise of Ontario always has been that you're going to have a healthcare system and a public education system that will always have your back. That your, the size of your wallet is not going to determine the quality of care and quality of public education you're going to receive. When my family and I came, despite the challenges we went through as a family in a new country, despite the fact that we lost everything in a recession in in the business, we knew the promise of Ontario was there. When my dad got sick with heart disease, the healthcare system was there to save his life. My parents knew that that a quality public education system will be there for their children that will allow them to, to live their best life. And I think we're all doing quite well. That promise 
is slipping away. And I want to restore that province because those are foundational things. They are, many people will say, yeah, so you're talking about basic stuff. Yeah, they're bread and butter stuff. Absolutely. But these, this is the stuff that families build their lives on. Because if they don't have that foundation, that great equalizer available to them around health, good health care, around good public education, then they are not able to excel and move forward. And, and live their full potential, which we need to really allow for. So as the premier of this province, my big focus is going to make people's lives easier to live. I always tell people, I didn't get into, into politics to tell you how to live your life. People are grown up. People are smart. People are educated in this province. What we need to do is to allow, to enhance their quality of life. And that starts with making sure that people get core public services uh, available to them. Right now, as I travel the province, I, I find that people are struggling. Everybody is talking to me about the challenges they're facing. There are families that are struggling to find uh, family doctors or nurses. There are kids who are struggling in overcrowded classrooms or young people who are working two or three jobs and are struggling to pay for their rent and groceries. We need to really, really address these uh, these issues. Uh, we need to make sure that that communities in 905, one of the largest, fastest growing area in our province, um, have access to family doctors and nurses, that all these new people who are coming to live in the 905 area who are so qualified in different professions are able to practice their profession as quickly as possible, that it doesn't take them 10 years to find their footing, to start building the conditions of success for their families, that they are able to do this in as short a period of time because sooner they're successful, sooner we as a society are successful because they start contributing right away by buying cars and furniture, homes, and the kind of things that, that are necessary uh, for their families. And same thing goes for our economy. We need to make sure that we're building an economy for not only for today, but for tomorrow. And, and I'm one of those people who really fundamentally believe that we need to harness in Ontario, the economic opportunity of fight, fighting climate change. You know, this is a province that has one of the most educated uh, workforce. And this is the place that should lead in attracting investor dollars to create those solutions that the world is hungry for at the moment that will allow us to meet the net zero objectives by 2050. Isn't I, on that note though? I mean, right now Doug Ford is positioning himself as the EV champion in Canada. Uh, you know, he he's so, siding up to uh, Justin Trudeau, your, your current boss. Uh, you know, to to tote you know the the Volkswagen deal in in St. Thomas and talk about putting up money for Stellantis. So, how, how do you combat that to say you know to say that Doug Ford's not doing enough when it kind of looks like he, he's cashed in he's cashing all his chips on the ev uh uh transition in the in the auto sector so i i'm, I'm going to i'm going to disagree with you joel in terms of your characterization of the role of, of the premier on on the ev file let's not forget that, that just five years ago when he came in government the very first thing he did was kill all the incentives that existed for people to transition from from gas fuel cars to electric vehicles right? Uh, killed all kinds of incentives for the industry when it comes to transition from fossil fuels to clean sources of, of energy. So it's, it's 
kind of a religion he's found a bit late. And the reason he's found that religion, if I can use that metaphor, is because you've you got on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, because you've got a federal government that's leading. I ask the question all the time: If the federal government was not at the table right now, when it comes to uh, the kind of investments we see with VW and Stellantis, do you think Doug Ford would, would have been there? Have we seen any plan from Doug Ford's government to take a lead on this issue? And the answer is no. He's doing this because there is a willing federal part. Imagine if we had a government in Ontario under my leadership that has a good paying jobs plan around the economic opportunity of fighting climate change. Imagine how well we would do, whether it's federal government's at the table or not. Partnership is really important, but Doug Ford is not leading. He's merely following. And he's following, kicking and screaming, as we saw recently what happened with the Stellantis deal also. The last point I will make in that regards, that EV is an important part of that that strategy, but that's a, that's a sliver. That's now legacy technology when it comes uh, to transition from fossil fuels, from gas-powered uh, use, uh, use uh, of energy to, to renewable uh, sources of, of energy. There's more needs to be done in terms of how we generate electricity. There's more needs to be done around how we build our homes and commercial buildings, how we transport uh, 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 each other, how do we store energy all those things are still uh, there's much R and D that needs to that needs to happen. It's happening in other parts of the world. I don't want us Ontario to be a laggard. I want Ontario to be the risk taker in that venture and and talk to investors who have trillions of dollars and looking for those solutions and create opportunities right here in Ontario so that we, we we're developing those solutions and then exporting it to the world. I'm going to ch change direction slightly now. And obviously, we're the 905er podcast. We're interested in the 905 region. And, um, you know, we sort of came into existence partly because it's like this region, to an extent, is the kingmaker, not just in Ontario, but but in Canada. It has been in uh, multiple elections uh, in recent years. It was like how the 905 votes decides the election. Uh, and yet, you know, from a media point of view, the 905 tends to be overlooked. You know, it's kind of, you know, we're the suburban wastelands uh, when nothing very interesting happens. So we were trying to counter that. Um, it seems to me that anybody who, who wants to be lead the province has to have policies that are going to appeal to this region. Uh, and one of the ones that, you know, ha certainly when I was living in Burlington, I know it really applies. Now I'm living in Hamilton. Um, one of the things that really applies is, is municipal government and local planning uh, powers over, you know, what gets what gets built where and who gets the final say. Now, as far as I know, you're one of the few, uh, you were one of the few ministers uh, who actually tried to <laughs> reform the OMB and actually give a little bit more power, um, or that's how I interpreted it at the time anyway, give a little bit more power back to the municipalities to decide um uh, to have a kind of more more, um, more of a final kind of say in, in what gets built where, a little bit more power in terms of that that dynamic with development applications and things. Um, that went away the minute that um, um, the new government came in and the, uh, the old PAT, which you introduced, was abolished and we now have the OLT. Um, how much of a priority for you would, would be to sort of return to that file and look again at... at um, 
at the planning process and and um, well, what's, what's your view of the municipalities? I mean, we have a housing crisis. The traditional way of dealing with a housing crisis is to take power away from the municipalities to say no. Um, would you need to do that too? Um, well, it's such a big question. Uh, you, <laughs> it was asking, a big so, one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so let's try to see if we can parse this um, into smaller pieces because I think, and, and, and there are related parts um, in there. So thank you for highlighting the work that I did uh, back in 2016, 2017, 2018 in really ref- trying to reform our uh, our planning act and the manner in which local communities have a say in 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 development decision making i stand by those uh, those changes we made because i think we made the system far more nimble and flexible that is allows for more community buy in in how we develop um, it it was not meant uh, at all whatsoever that uh, that nimbys nimbys uh, would prevail in fact, it was it was counter to that because a lot of anxieties comes from the community when they don't have a say in the decision making. And if you restore the say in their decision making, they are far more willing to participate uh, in how development uh, takes place uh, than sitting out the outside. So that was sort of the crux of of of, uh, of the pro- uh, of the changes that we brought, and the proof is in the fact that the communities approved of it and local municipalities, the municipal leaders said that the, these were the appropriate changes to be, to be made. For Mr. Ford to then come in uh, an office and undo everything is, is, I think is a sad reality and we are in the challenges that we are facing right, right now. The housing file is very much related to how we develop our communities right now. And, and I will say this to you, I'm from 613, not from 905, but I have family in 905. And so I'm obviously quite attuned to what happens in 905. I've lived there. Um, and, and, and my answers, I think, applies to across the province because there's a great potential when you're looking at local development and the housing crisis to find ways that works uh, in a complementary uh, uh, manner. We all recognize that we need to build more housing. We all recognize that um, that uh, uh, new people, uh, millennials who are getting in a position to buy homes, need to find uh, find homes. But that cannot be done, should not be done on the expense expense of local decision making. The province of Ontario or Queens Park does not have any superior expertise as to how development should play, play in local communities. I mean, I will, I will say a provocative thing now. Why then have local government if you are going to make the decisions for them? I mean, it goes undermines the manner in which we have structured ourselves to allow for more flexible and nimble decision-making at a local level, depending on how issues are. And that's why you've got, you've got municipal government, you've got responsibilities of the provincial government and the federal government. And so the changes that the Ford government has, has brought in is really sort of taking the approach of somehow Queens Park sitting in their ivory towers um, down by, by University Avenue knows better as to what should happen in Burlington or in Hamilton, or in Ottawa, or Cornwall, or Sudbury, Ontario. And I think that is hugely problematic, not to mention when you couple it with um, strong mayor powers, 
Uh, you couple with one third of council making decisions that will apply to entire council, you, you get into seriously into anti-democratic democratic, anti-democratic, uh, uh, way of, of doing things. So I think you're getting a good sense of where, where I am. And now what's happening is that we're spending more time fighting with the, 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 the provincial government um, um, as opposed to looking at how we can create more development, how we can create more intensification within our existing uh, uh, city boundaries with the buy-in with our local communities. How did Mr. Ford deal with that? In my view, he took the lazy option, which is, which is to give away a green belt to his rich buddies who are going to build big mansions that is not going to make a, 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 a scintilla uh, of difference on affordability of housing whatsoever. And you don't have to believe my word, look at all the economists and what their analysis is saying. So I, I really do feel that we need a better model. We need a model that looks at one, working with our municipal governments in setting up targets in building new housing across the province, just not in the greater Toronto and Hamilton area. And so you need that partnership you need that buy-in. And secondly, what you need to do is the provincial government, the role they need to play is creating incentives that will allow for people who are looking for housing, who are coming new to our province, to spread all across the province. The concentration that we're seeing right now in greater Toronto and Hamilton area, in my view, in the long term, is not sustainable. There is a great potential when it comes to supply of land and building affordable housing in the Niagara Peninsula, in Southwest Ontario, in Eastern Ontario or Northern Ontario, because that is not only going to help people live in other parts and, and, and own affordable homes, but it also then helps those local economies. And so how the provincial government can incentivize that without telling people because we can't tell people. And I think I, I call it the question of connectivity. Connectivity is really important in that in terms of building roads, building trains so that people can, can get to one place to the other easily, making sure that you've got high-speed internet so that people, the, the professional class that can work virtually can do so from anywhere in the province. I think there's a great potential there. And those are the kind of thoughtful policy solutions that I want to work on as, as the leader of our province. It's uh, it just actually occurs to, occurs to me that you know, I, I grew up in the UK and, and uh, after, after the Second World War, uh, uh, there was kind of a housing crisis uh, and a rising population with the baby boom and uh, you know, the population double the size of Canada's living in a, in a somewhere small in Ontario, I mean, as it happens. And one of the ways they dealt with that was through the, the new town uh, uh, schemes where they, they just simply said, okay, we've got some area here dotted around the country. We're going to build entirely new towns. And that's not something I've ever heard discussed in, in a Canadian context that we don't have to put people into an existing town. We could start a new one. Uh, is that something that's ever occurred? It's just something that struck me as, as you were talking. I don't know if that's... Uh, yeah, I, I think, to... Roland, I, I'm speaking uh, of, of the same notion from a different angle because we have a lot of existing towns um, in this province that they have lost population or the population is aging, right? And and I think we need to, res- we need to restore the promise 
um, of opportunity in those smaller communities uh, as as well uh, who are looking for people. I'll give you two really good examples. Um, and I spoke with both those local mayors, uh, Belleville and Peterborough. Belleville and Peterborough, uh, Mayor Leal in Peterborough and Mayor uh, Alice in, in Belleville both told me how they will love, their doors are open to new people, how they asked me the question, Yasser, with about uh, 600,000 new people coming into Ontario in the next three years, how can we get our fair share of those new talented people into our respective communities? They are really well, they're already well connected with the greater Toronto area. Right. There's a brand new highway that gets into Peterborough. There's going to be a train service that's being via train service that's going to get built that will connect Peterborough uh, to Union. Via runs from Belleville. Um, You've got large employers that are building opportunities and they're public institutions. There's a college in Belleville. There's a university and a college in in Peterborough. Why are we not exploring those opportunities? There are existing towns in place that are have a welcome met out provincial government need to work in partnership with those communities to harness that opportunity as opposed to what Doug Ford is doing which is working counter to that interest uh, and just helping his rich buddies in the 905 area can the the, uh, the the market alone solve the affordability crisis? Uh, this is a sort of hobby horse of mine, and that like you know, if if you want affordable housing, the government has to be involved. Um, uh, as a landlord, very often, you know, whether, whichever level that might be, um, the market tends to build slums. If you look at the sort of global context, uh, and if it's not allowed to build slums, then it doesn't build at all for that affordable end of things. Uh, do you think there's a role for government, whether local or provincial, in actually just building this stuff? There has to be a partnership. I don't think we can leave it to either or. Um, I really do strongly believe that good planning is the key in that regards, you know, uh, making sure that we are have good plans around building 15-minute communities, whether even, even are there in suburban communities. Uh, you know, I... I don't rail against suburban communities. These they are vibrant communities. They needs to remain vibrant, and I think there's a lot of opportunity there to build communities that are accessible to people, to local school, to local library, to local play, playground, uh, to local uh, shopping and restaurants. Um, we we need to embrace that the vilification that we have gotten into around downtown and suburban communities. I think is counterproductive. Uh, it undermines. Uh, our our communities and I'm the kind of leader and I I represent a downtown community in, in in Ottawa that that really believes that we we need to put good planning principles that will allow for more harmonious development and that's where I think government has a very important role to play. Uh, I see we're coming up on uh, on our time. There is a bit of a uh, an elephant in the room, I guess, if you will, and that'll be the last two elections uh the liberal party was resoundingly just rejected by ontario voters um and a lot of that is uh i mean doug ford will bring this up in the next election is that tying it to mcginty and win governments you're you're very much a part of both of those governments uh you were a cabinet minister in, in kathleen Wynne's government i guess my question to you is 
do you think Ontarians are looking willing to look past that? Um, and if they are not, how are you willing? How are you looking to repackage yourself to to appeal to Ontarians on uh, mass? So, 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 Joel, um, I think first and foremost, we we need to recognize that that when Liberals in government, a lot of good things happen in this province. I think this province is is cleaner, more fair, and more just as a result of the policies that the Liberal government's champion. And and I am really proud of the fact that we have full day kindergarten that helps so many young families in this province as a result of Liberal government. The fact that we have uh, the one of the cleanest air now. Uh, in our province, because we got rid of coal as a source of uh, generating electricity, we were the first jurisdiction to do so in a North American context, is, I, has made us a leader when it comes to fighting uh, climate change. Not to mention the, the work we did to secure pensions for hardworking Ontarians. In fact, our fight led to protecting pensions for all Canadians. These are good things that we should be proud of and show as an example of, of the kind of things that we can do to help uh, Ontarians. We as a government, like any government, did we make some mistakes that we lose contact at touch with with Ontarians? Absolutely. I mean, Doug Ford is making all kinds of mistakes every single day and taking the province in the in the wrong uh, wrong direction. And my experience is really uh, ensures that not only I know how decisions are made because I was part of making those good decisions. I was at the table and decision making is about choices and making sure that we're making right choices that helps Ontarians. But also I've learned from the mistakes we made. Um, and, and that learning allows for me to not repeat those mistakes. You know, I, I, I have this conversation with my children all the time. You know, when they make a mistake, we talk about the mistake we made. But the most important question I always ask them is, tell me how you're not going to repeat this mistake. And I think that experience is really important um, in, in addition to uh having the experience of managing large ministries with big budgets and be able to ascertain the right set of information so that good decisions uh, could be made. And um, I strongly believe that Ontarians are ready to look at the Ontario Liberal Party. They are ready to look at Ontario Liberal Party with a leader that is, uh, is reflective of Ontario, a leader that has a proven track record of challenging the status quo, a leader that is, is confident um, and is going to put the needs of Ontarians at the center of everything that we need to do. And that's why my big focus is making sure that we restore the promise of Ontario when it comes to our economy, when it comes to our healthcare system and our education. Well, I think we'll leave it at that for, for this episode. Uh, thank you very much, Yasser, for, for taking the time to come on. Um, the election is in, uh, in September, and we wish you the best of luck in, with whatever comes down, down your way. Thank you. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, Roland. I really appreciate it uh, and enjoy this conversation. Thanks. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. 
visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. This is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.